Let's turn over to the book of Galatians. And I'm going to continue. Last night, I started trying to get across the point that what most of us are hearing is not the true gospel. Because Paul said in in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 16 that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. And just by looking at people, there are people that aren't receiving the full benefit of their salvation. Salvation doesn't only mean forgiveness of sins. Salvation is a word that implies everything that Jesus died to produce. Healing, deliverance, joy, peace, prosperity. Anything that Jesus died to produce is a part of our salvation. And it says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So if you are sick in your body then you have a deficiency of the gospel because the gospel releases the power of God unto these things. If you are poor, you have a deficiency of the gospel. If you aren't just, I mean, blessed, full of joy and and happy and praising God, you've got a deficiency of the gospel. That's a radical statement, but I stand by it. It's absolutely true. When you go to understanding the gospel, the gospel just transforms your life. It releases the power of God into your life. And so many people think, oh, well, no, I know the gospel. That's because we have a lot of things today called the gospel, but it's not the gospel. First of all, I used this last night that the word gospel, if you really study it out, it means nearly too good to be true news. And telling a person that you're going to hell is not good news. It's not nearly too good to be true news. And yet a lot of people will call that the gospel. They'll call it hellfire and damnation preaching. And they think, man, that's good preaching. And all that is, it is true that there is a God and a devil, a heaven and a hell. And all of those things are true. But it's not good news to tell people that God's mad at you. The good news is to say that even though we have sinned and come short of the glory of God... God placed all of his wrath for your sins, all of his punishment against you on Jesus and Jesus paid everything. It is not based on your goodness, on your holiness. God isn't moving in your life directly proportional to what you deserve. That's good news. That's nearly too good to be true news. And yet most people today are being taught that no, God has all of this power, but God won't use it because you haven't been fasting. You didn't pray. You got mad on the way to church because of this or that. And people are allowing what God has provided for them not to be working in their life because they feel unworthy. The truth is that in just ourselves, we are unworthy, but the good news, the nearly too good to be true news is God isn't giving you what you deserve. He gives you what you receive through Jesus freely. And it is not based on your performance. That is great, great news. That is awesome news. I'm going to be back and forth in the book of Romans, Galatians, Hebrews. These three books in the New Testament are some of the strongest on grace that there is. And uh, they are really strong in the gospel. And they're all saying the same thing. The book of Romans is like a scholarly approach. 
And Paul is just presenting it in a very logical, systematic approach. And it just deals with the grace of God. If Romans isn't one of your favorite books, then you don't have a revelation of the gospel. That's a true statement. The Lord told me many years ago that if I could ever understand the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, it would transform my life. And it took me about 15 years before I could say that I I don't still understand everything. I'm still learning, but I, about 15 years before I felt like I had a handle on it and could understand what he was saying. And it has literally transformed my life. The book of Galatians is dealing with the same truths, but in the book of Galatians, it's like Paul's mad. He led these people to the Lord. And in a very short period of time, they had turned away from the grace of God back to legalism. And under this condemnation, where if you do wrong, God won't bless you. God won't answer your prayers. God is upset with you. And in just a very short period of time, they had turned away from all of this and Paul was upset. I mean, he didn't even go through his normal, you know, greetings. God bless you. I'm praying for you. I mean, he just comes out fighting and he says things to the Galatians that, you know, I'm glad he said it because if I'd have said it, I'd have gotten in trouble, but I'm just going to quote him on some of these things. Look here in Galatians chapter one. And in verse six, he starts right from the very beginning. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, let me point out some things. He said, God called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel. He is using the words grace and gospel interchangeably. This is also done over in the book of Acts when Paul had a... uh, a pastor's conference. And he called all of the leaders of the church of Ephesus together to a resort area, Miletus. And he had them come together and he used the words grace and gospel interchangeably. Again, if a person isn't preaching the grace of God as the method of receiving from him, if they are preaching that, no, you've got to live holy. And unless you do this and this and this, God won't bless you. Then that is not the gospel. The gospel and grace are synonymous. They are the same thing. You know, a lot of people, like in the church that I grew up in, they taught grace for your initial forgiveness of sins. They taught that you got born again by grace. We would sing the song, just as I am without one plea. And people would come to the Lord and they would receive salvation as a gift But then when it came to your maintenance of your relationship with God, when it came to being healed or delivered or having joy or peace or anything else, that all had to be earned. And it was all dependent on how holy you lived and whether or not you went to church and did everything just right. So they preached a double standard. They preached that you got started by grace, but then you had to earn it. They wouldn't have ever used that terminology, but I guarantee you that's exactly what happened. And yet the scripture says in Colossians chapter two, verse six, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Jesus? By grace through faith, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It was putting faith in what Jesus did for you. 
You know, if a person came forward for salvation this morning, we're going to give an invitation and give people an opportunity to be born again. And if a person came forward and they said, but I don't deserve salvation. You know, I've, I've committed adultery. I've lied. I've stolen. I've done things wrong. I don't deserve salvation. I'd tell them that you don't get what you deserve. Jesus paid for your sins. And you, even though it's true that you don't deserve it, it's a gift. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. You don't deserve salvation. You can't come and say, I demand that you save me. Nobody deserves salvation. You have to humble yourself and put faith in the goodness and the grace of God and receive salvation as a gift. And so if a person says, but I'm not worthy to receive this gift, I said, I'd say it's a gift. It's not based on your goodness. And see, most people in here would agree with that. Let's say a drunk comes forward and the guy's drunk. You know what? I'd say God loves you. And he says, but I'm drunk. How could God love a drunk? And says, God loves you. It says in Romans chapter uh, five, verse eight, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't love you because you were lovely. He loves you because he is love. And see, most people agree with this. And when it comes to salvation, the initial born again experience, most of you would agree. And if a person was drunk, you would go up to them and say, God loves you. And instead of saying, God's mad at you because you're a drunk, repent or else, turn or burn, you would minister mercy towards them. And you would tell them about the goodness of God because we understand that we are saved, not by our goodness, but because of what Jesus did. But let that person receive salvation and get born again and then come back tonight drunk again. And many of you who went up to him because he was lost and would tell him how much God loved him and that God can change your life and God wants to help you. If he professes that he's saved and still gets drunk, many of you would turn on him and say, the wrath of God's gonna come on you. God won't answer your prayers. God's not gonna bless you. And you would start condemning them if they were a Christian, but you would minister grace to them if they were a drunk. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know that that's, you don't, you aren't even conscious of it, but that's just the way that it would be. We've been taught that God is merciful to a sinner, but let them get saved. And man, now they are God's child and they are going to have to toe the mark or else. You know, this is weird to think that a person could come and get born again and you haven't been fasting, you haven't been praying, you hadn't been going to church, you hadn't been paying your tithes, you've been sleeping around, you've been doing anything wrong and yet you could receive the greatest gift that the world, I mean, that God has to offer, which is salvation and you get born again with no goodness to your name. But once you're born again, unless you've been praying and studying the word and paying your tithes and going to church and if you gotten mad, None of those, that'll just stop the power of God. None of this other ungodliness stopped you from being born again. But now that you're born again, the slightest little sin, the slightest little thing, just having a negative thought will keep you from getting healed and you're liable to die of cancer. God's not going to heal you because you got a sin in your life. Can you tell that that's double standard? 
Colossians 2, 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk you in him. You got saved by grace. How is it that we think we have to be maintained by our own performance and goodness? You know, there's multiple reasons for this. One of the reasons is because a lot of people have not understood the difference between the new covenant, the way God deals with us by grace and the way God deals with us by under the old Testament, the law. And so some people honestly have made a mistake and have taught wrong because they didn't know the truth. Another reason is that some people use the law because you can manipulate people with fear of punishment. You can sit there and tell a person, if you don't tie God will take it out in doctor bills. You better pay up or God's going to get you. And you know what? Even a lost person will give. <laughs> and there's a lot of pastors that the reason they preach the law is because their people, many of them aren't born again. And the ones who are born again, aren't spiritually mature. And so they don't understand spiritual things. And so they just understand, you know, hit them curse them. God's going to make you sick. God's going to do this. The reason your child died, the reason the child was born this way is because you didn't go to church because you weren't serving God. And we use law to fear, to cause fear and people, we drive them by fear to God. But fear has torments. What first John chapter four says, fear has torment. And if you are serving God because you're afraid he's going to get you, if you don't, It'll torment you. You will not have the closeness and the relationship that God desires for you to have. And so a lot of people preach law and condemnation because it's a way of manipulating people. And so I don't know all of the reasons why people do it, but I'm telling you, this is not the gospel. And Paul is just in sense. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You've left grace and now you're unto another gospel. And in the next verse, it says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. In other words, he says, really, there is no other gospel. There is no other nearly too good to be true news. There is nothing that compares with the true gospel that Jesus paid it all. And all you've got to do is put faith in him. There is nothing that compares with that, but there are some that have manipulated it and tried to change it. And as we go through this book, I'm not going to be able to tell you the whole book of Galatians this morning, but as you go through this book, these people were super legalist saying that you had to live holy and you had to keep the religious rituals. And unless you did this and this and this, you could not have a relationship with God. They didn't deny that Jesus was a part of salvation. These weren't people, you know, if, if people just came out and said, oh, Jesus isn't the son of God, you don't have to trust in Jesus. Jesus is no different than Mohammed or Buddha or anybody else. If people said things like that, you know what? Christians would reject that because it would be so different. They would recognize this is wrong. But what's happened to the church is people come in and say, oh yes, you've got to have Jesus. You've got to be born again. Jesus has to be your savior, but it's not just faith in Jesus. You've also got to live holy. You've also got to earn this. And unless you do these things, God won't move in your life. See, that's not a, another total different thing. They are adhering to some of the truths of Christianity, but it is a perversion 
of Christianity. And this is where we live today. The vast majority of what is called Christianity today is a perversion of the true gospel. They're saying, oh yes, you need Jesus, but you also have to do this. And that is a perverted gospel and it dilutes and contaminates the gospel. There are a lot of people think, well, I don't believe it has to be pure gospel. You know, nobody's got a pure gospel. You know, it reminds me of a man who told a story about his kids that were wanting to go to a movie and uh, the father found out it was uh, X-rated or R-rated or something. And he says, no, you can't go to that. And the kid said, oh, everybody's going. It's not bad. There's just one little part in there that's really bad. They just use a little bit of profanity and it's real quick, this nudity, but the rest of it, it's really a good movie. And the dad says, no, you can't go. And so they got mad. But anyway, he put his foot down. He says, you can invite your friends that were going to go to the movies over to your house and I'll have them over to my house and you can spend time over there. So the kid brought their friends over and the dad went and made some brownies for them. And when he brought the brownies out, they were hot and the kids were just ready to get these brownies. And they, he cut them up and they got these brownies. Just now. Before you eat it, let me just tell you, there's a little bit of dog poop in there. Not much. It's not much. You won't even be able to taste it. It won't taste any different. It won't make you sick. It won't hurt you, but there's just a little bit of dog pooping. Got his point across. And it's amazing that we just tolerate things. But I tell you what, Paul, Paul would tolerate a lot of things. You know, some people worshiped on a certain day. He said that there were some that didn't believe in uh, eating meat that had been offered unto idols. There was others that did. And he says, really, it's no different. The idol is nothing. But he says, for the sake of those who have a weak conscience, I'm telling you not to do this. Paul would have mercy on certain things. But one thing Paul would not compromise on was when a person got to preaching that you had to add something to what Jesus did Paul would not compromise on that. Matter of fact, I'm trying to do this systematically and it's not working. (laughs) Let me just show you a couple of scriptures here out of Galatians chapter three. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians chapter three, verse one, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. He says, you're bewitched. This is demonic deception. And he calls them foolish Galatians. One of the translations, I forget which one I read, it says, you stupid idiots. (laughs) That's the point that he's trying to get across. You know what? Most people, well, you should never say something like that. There's just some things that are stupid. Why would anybody leave the goodness of God to where you receive, not because you're worthy of it, but because God is a good God. And all you got to do is believe and receive. Why would you leave that to go back over here? No, I believe I've got to do everything and I've got to be holier. God won't move in my life. Why would anybody trade the grace of God for your own performance? That's just stupid. And that's what Paul is saying. You stupid idiots, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? This has to be demonic. And it is demonic the way that the church has been deceived into tying everything to your own goodness, your own performance. 
Brothers and sisters, that's not good. Man, there's so many verses I'd like to use. Look over here in chapter five. After he made all of these points about the grace of God in chapter five, verse one, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know what this yoke of bondage is? It's not talking about sin. It's talking about the law, the system of you've got to do this and this and this before God will do that. Some of you think, well, I'm not under the law. I don't observe feast days. I don't offer blood sacrifices. I'm not under the Old Testament law. You know, you could, you could be going down the same path with the same destination. You just change vehicles. You no longer have to offer a blood sacrifice and have to give an offering every time you have a child and do all of these things and all of the ceremonial rituals. You don't have to observe the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and stuff. You aren't doing those things, but you have the same mentality that now I've got to go to church, study the word. I've got to pray an hour a day. I've got to be holy. I can't be mad at anybody. If I have any unforgiveness, God won't answer my prayer. It's the same logic, just a different vehicle headed to the same place. We have a different set of rules, but that is law. It's been, it's a law mentality and that is not what we live under today. So this is saying, don't be entangled again with that. Notice the word entangled is the word is painting a picture of a net. Like you spread a net for a animal and try and capture it. Satan has put out this bait that you've got to be holy and you've got to deserve the goodness of God. And it's going to, and it's going to trap you. You cannot prosper. Some of you think, well, look, I'm really living holy. I'm doing good. You're doing good compared to me or compared to somebody else, but compared to God's standard of perfection, you've sinned and come short and you do not need justice. You need mercy. (laughs) I used to develop pictures for a lady, uh, for a living. And we would have people come in and look at these photos and you know, that you'd show them their photo and they'd, Oh, that's terrible. I hate that one. And and then you'd show them, and oh, that's just not good. And they'd, they'd act like it was just a terrible picture. And you say, all right, well, we'll go reshoot them. And then say, oh, no, I think I could live with this one. You know, it was just a backhanded way of trying to get you to compliment them. They wanted you to say, oh, you look so good. The light is so good here. They didn't really mean it. I had this one woman say, this picture doesn't do me justice. And I didn't have the nerve to say, but I wanted to say, lady, you don't need justice. <laughs> you need mercy. Amen. There are some people saying, this just isn't fair. You don't need justice. You need mercy. You don't need to start. You don't need to be entangled again with that yoke of bondage. In verse two, he says, behold, I, Paul say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now this needs a little interpretation because Paul himself said in Philippians chapter three, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. So Paul was circumcised, but he wasn't trusting in his Jewish right of circumcision. So it has to be interpreted here that if you are trusting in your circumcision, and again, today, that's not an issue with most people, but you could say it this way. If you are trusting in your water baptism, if you are trusting in your church attendance, if you are trusting in your Bible reading, if you are trusting in how much time you spend in prayer and say, God, I know you're going to use me now because I fasted and I've prayed and I've done this, then Christ shall profit you nothing. 
Brothers and sisters, let me just make a statement that is going to shock some of you, but this is exactly the reason that you aren't receiving your healing, your prosperity, your joy, your peace. It's like Christ is profiting you nothing. Why is that? Because you are trusting in your goodness and in your holiness and coming before God and proclaiming your own goodness. The only sin that God will not overlook is the sin of self-righteousness, trusting in your goodness and coming before God based on what you deserve. If that's your mentality, that stops the power of God dead in your life. Homosexuality won't stop him. Adultery won't stop him. Murder, lying, stealing, none of those things are good. And those things have consequences and I'm not encouraging any of them. And if you're truly born again, the Holy Spirit will start leading you away from those things and you'll get free of them. I'm not condoning any of those, but I'm saying that, you know what? A person who's in the very act of adultery could still pray and God would answer their prayer. I know some of you just, I can't believe you said that. The Bible says in James chapter two, verse 10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. There are some of you that say, well, now, you know, if you just lost your temper, if you were just less than you were supposed to be, if you weren't quite the Christian that you were supposed to be, but your heart was right and you were meaning good, God can overlook that. And you can still get your prayers answered. But if you committed adultery, God will never answer your prayers. How do you deal with James 2.10? If you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. You know, it's like there was, if you had a huge glass in front of you and me between us, you could shoot a BB through that glass and make a little tiny hole, or you could drive a truck through that glass and break the whole thing. But if it's broken, the whole thing has to be replaced. You can't just replace a little tiny hole. The whole thing has to be replaced. This is the way God's standard is. And see, people who preach the law and preach that you got to live holy or God won't bless you, they conveniently miss this point. That if you are going to trust in your own holiness, then you just can't be better than me. You got to be perfect. And the very people who sit there and tell me that, and I've said, so are you? Well, no, I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm doing the best I can. And they think that somehow or another God grades on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve. You either have to be perfect and you demand it because you are as good as God or you need a savior. And if you have a savior, then it's your faith in the savior and what he did for you and not your faith in yourself. And you can't mix the two. In Romans chapter 11, verse six, it says, for you're saved by, let's see, I'm not sure I can quote that. Have you got that up there, Lori? And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it's of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. That's just old English for saying it's either grace or it's work, but it's not a combination of the two. And people who preach that you've got to live holy, is there anybody that would dare say you are as holy as God and you don't have any problems? I don't think that there's a person that would say that. And if you, if you would say that, I guarantee you, I could whittle you down to size in a hurry. 
I could show you, if nothing else, I'd just start preaching the grace of God to you and you'd get so mad at me that you'd say or do something that would show you aren't holy. (laughs) There is nobody who is 100% holy. And if you aren't 100% holy, it's not a mixture of, well, it's what Jesus did plus what I do. No, it's either grace or it's work or it's work without grace, but it's not a combination of the two. You cannot mix them. If you keep every precept of the law and yet miss it in one small piece, you become guilty of everything. You know, I told you, I have never done most of the things that many people in here have done. I've never uh, taken a, a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never said a word of profanity in my 62 years. By the end of this month, I'll be 62 years old. And I've never done those things. And you know what? That doesn't make me any better than anybody else. I was saying this at a meeting in uh, Ireland and there was a woman that heckled me the whole meeting. I'd say something about the Bible said, and she says, well, we don't believe the Bible. And she was, uh, she was a mess. And anyway, she just talked back to me the whole time. And I went through that thing. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never said a word of profanity. And she stood up and goes, congratulations. <laughs> And that's about all it gets you. You know what? Because I have sinned, I am guilty of adultery. I'm guilty of homosexuality. I'm guilty of lying, drunkenness. Some of you think, oh, I would never say that. But it's one law. If you break in one point, I become guilty of everything. This whole thing about, well, there's degrees of of hell. There is no hell number two or hell number three. If you miss heaven by an inch, it's the same as missing it by a mile. And yet religion, see, teaches a comparative worth. It teaches constantly that, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than this old publican over here. I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint, anise, and cumin. And the Lord said that the publican was the one who was justified because he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He just received it by grace. But the person who was trusting in himself was not justified. He did not become righteous. It, you can't sit here and, and play both sides of this. You can't say, well, I, it's my holiness. I've got to be holy, but I'm not perfectly holy. And so I trust Jesus to make up the difference. No, it's either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If you are trusting in your goodness, Christ profits you nothing. And brothers and sisters, there are people sitting right in this room that you got born again by grace. If you were to die right this moment, you would go to heaven and not go to hell. But you are sick, you're poor, you're miserable, you're lonely, you're discouraged, you're fearful. Christ is profiting you nothing because you are trying to be good enough to earn the grace of God. And that's the very thing that is holding you back. This is in rampant epidemic proportions in the body of Christ, people trusting in their own goodness. And Paul said that if you be circumcised, just talking about if you are trusting in what you have done in your goodness, in your performance, some ritual, something that you have done, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised 
that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Again, Paul was circumcised. So this isn't really talking about the physical thing. It's talking about if you are trusting in what you have done, then you have to keep the whole law, not part of it, not a little bit of it. You got to keep the whole thing. If you are going to believe that you've got to be worthy for God to love you and move in your life, then you've got to be perfect. You can't just do the best you can and trust Jesus to make up the difference. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. This isn't saying you've lost your salvation. It's saying that you have walked away from the grace and you are now under the law. And the grace of God is where the power of God, it's the grace of God, the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's understanding that God loves me, not because I'm lovely, but because he is love, that that's what empowers you. That's what gives you joy and peace. The moment you start tying God's love for you to your goodness, then the moment you mess up, guilt and condemnation is going to come pouring in upon you because you're going to think, oh, I don't deserve it anymore. The truth is you never deserve the goodness of God. And if you could just understand this and start walking in the true gospel and talking about the grace of God, then even when you mess up and it, and I I know some people are thinking you're encouraging people to sin. You're just saying it doesn't matter. No, sin is stupid. I went through that last night. I'm not going to go back through all that, but God loves you stupid. Even if you sin, amen. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. Once you understand how good God is, And that here is this awesome, holy God who is so pure. We don't even have a way of embracing and comprehending how pure God is. Some of you just think you're awesome. You think that God is so privileged to have somebody like you on his side. You just, you love yourself. You just think you are wonderful. I guarantee you, if you ever got a glimpse of the true glory of God, you would, you would repent in sackcloth and ashes. You would recognize your relative unworthiness and you would, you'd just be overwhelmed by it. And to think that a pure, holy God set it up that he would place every bit of his displeasure, all of his rejection and wrath, everything that he had against your sin all of it, not just for the past, but even in the future, everything that you will ever do wrong, God took all of his wrath and placed it on his son, the Lord Jesus, and punished his son and his son bled and died and suffered shame, humiliation. Everything that you and I should have suffered, Jesus suffered it for us. And if you ever got a picture of that and saw how this holy God can now look at you and not even see any sin, have no displeasure, not be upset, not feel like you're a second class person. I'm probably going to try and teach on this sometime during the deal, but you've got to understand that it's your spirit that got born again, not your body We had a dozen people born again last night. And you know what? They were still men or women in their physical bodies. 
they still looked the same. Their mind was still the same. They still remembered what their childhood was like. They remembered the things that were in their physical mind, but in their spirit, they became a brand new person. And the Bible says in John chapter four, verse 24, it says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God looks at you in the spirit and the moment you get born again, you become a completely brand new person. And then it says in Ephesians 1 13, you're sealed with the Holy spirit. The moment you believe that means you're vacuum packed. And this spirit that was created righteous and truly holy Ephesians 4 24 is vacuum packed and God is a spirit. And he's always looking at you based on your spirit, not based on your physical body and your mind, how you act and how you think. Boy, that is, that's what changed my life. That transformed my life. I got a glimpse of grace. And I saw that the scripture said, God didn't treat us according to what we deserve, but I couldn't understand God. How could a holy God look at me and be pleased with me? I'm not pleased with me. I don't do everything right. I was dissatisfied. I saw things in my life that needed to change. How could God just overlook it, act like it didn't exist And the thing that changed my life is when I saw that he wasn't overlooking it. He was dealing with me based on who I was in the spirit. And I didn't know who I was in the spirit. I was a completely brand new person. And when I saw this, now I understand how a holy God can deal with me because in my spirit, I'm as righteous and holy and pure as Jesus is. I have been forgiven of all sin and I have to worship him based on that, not based on my actions. A person who is feeling that I haven't acted correctly and I haven't done this. And so how could God move in my life? How could God move through a person that's a sinner? You are carnal. You are looking on the outside instead of looking at who you are in the spirit. The word carnal, that's become another religious word that people just use to refer to bad, terrible people or whatever. But the word carnal literally means, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it means the flesh as stripped of skin. The Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And it means the flesh as stripped of skin. In other words, not just your outer epidermis, but meat. When you say carnal, it literally means meat. That's the reason they say chili con carne. The word carne comes from carnal. They both come from the same root word and it means meat. When you say somebody's carnally minded, you're calling them a meathead. (laughs) And so when I say that you're carnal, it doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean you're a sinner. It means that you are physical. You're dealing with yourself only on the physical. And yet God said you must worship him in the spirit and in truth. God isn't dealing with you based on your carnal, physical, natural self. He's dealing with you based on whether or not you've been born again and changed on the inside. I know some of you are thinking, oh, this is too good to be true. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You mean I confess Jesus as my Lord? I become this new person on the inside. Then I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. And from that time on, God is looking at me in the spirit. And even when I do stupid things, even when I sin, even when I come short of what God wants me to be, he looks at me and still sees me righteous and holy and pure. Yes, that's what I'm saying. 
Somebody said, I just, I just can't believe that God could use a dirty vessel. Well, God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to use. (laughs) Oh, not me. I'm holy. Well, you might be holy compared to me or somebody else, but compared to God's holy standard, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you are trying to become worthy enough for God to use you, you are going to fail. You can't make it. And this is why some of you are tormented in your relationship with God. You're like on a treadmill with a stick and a carrot hanging out in front of you and you're going for it. But every time you take a step, it moves too. And you're thinking someday I'm going to be holy. Someday I'll be worthy. Someday I'm going to attain unto this. And you keep trying and trying and trying. And it's always just out of reach. And if you're a strong personality, a stubborn personality, you might try longer than somebody else, but I can promise you, you will give up because you will never obtain being worthy enough for God to use. See, this is my testimony. I got born again when I was eight years old. The very first time God nailed me over sin, not the first time I'd sinned, but I mean the first time that I knew I had violated not just my parents' instructions or some teacher, but the first time I knew I sinned against God, I repented and I got born again in my home. My father led me to the Lord and I got born again at eight years old. The next day in school, my friends could tell I was different. They said, what happened to you? And I said, I'm saved. I got born again. And I was made fun of the day after my salvation by my friends because I got saved. There was a change in me. I got genuinely saved but then I went to church (laughs) and they started telling me that if you want God to bless you, if you want God to answer your prayers, if you want God to use you, you got to do this and this and this. And you know what? I did everything. They told me the best I could. I was leading when I was 13, 14 years old, I was leading as many as four or five, six people a week to the Lord. And you got to remember I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face. I couldn't talk to anybody. Doing what I'm doing now was impossible. I would have died first. (laughs) And so for an introvert to be leading people to the Lord, I was doing it because I felt I had to do this to make myself accepted with God. In our church, we would sing these songs about, will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening at last I lay down? Must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty handed go? You know why that motivates people? It's not about loving people. It's all loving yourself. And you feel like, oh man, I've got to do something or I'm going to be before God empty handed. And it's self promotion. It's self-motivation. And that'll cause people to come down. And like me, I, I started doing things that were out of character for me, but I was doing everything I could to try and please God. And yet none of it was enough. My dad died when I was 12 years old. I spent six months praying and fasting for him at 11 years old. And yet my dad died and I figured I just wasn't holy enough. I wasn't trying enough. And so I was going to try harder. I read the Bible every day of my life. I prayed. I remember as an eight or a nine-year-old, they'd say, how many of you in here pray a minute every day? And a few kids raise their hand. How many of you pray five minutes a day? And there's maybe a couple. How many of you pray 10 minutes a day? And I had my hand up. How many of you pray 30 minutes a day? And I still had my hand up. And they came over and said, you know, uh, you aren't supposed to lie. (laughs) 
But when I was eight, nine years old, I prayed at least 30 minutes, an hour a day. I sought God my entire life. I have never not sought God. But I was doing it trusting in all of my goodness and thinking, God, is it enough? Now you'll answer my prayer. I was with three people who died by the time I was 18 years old. They were very important in my life and didn't see any of them healed. And I kept trying to earn it and be holy enough. And I was doing all of these things, trying to get God to bless me. And my life changed March the 23rd, 1968. I was in a prayer meeting. This is what I did for years as an 18 year old boy on Saturday night, we would meet and pray for two hours. That'll show you how religious I was. And we would meet at 10 o'clock and we would pray. And anyway, long story, but the Lord just like pulled a curtain back from my eyes. And I saw that I was a modern day Pharisee. I was a religious hypocrite. I was doing all of the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. I was trying to earn God's favor and God just showed me, you can never be good enough. And he showed me what a hypocrite I was. And I mean, this was revelation. Nobody was talking to me. There wasn't a person in there that do, doing anything. And I just saw myself as a total hypocrite. And God started showing me attitudes. I started confessing sins that I had never committed, but I had fought them. You know, the Bible talks about that if you lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And I started confessing all of the lust. This was in front of the leaders of the church, all of my best friends. I ruined my reputation. I had been trying to show everybody how holy I was. And God started showing me what a hypocrite I was. And I confessed all of my sin. And 30 minutes was a long time for me to pray back then. But you know what? That night I prayed nearly two hours, turning myself inside out, admitting what a hypocrite and what a sinner I was. And some of you will think I'm exaggerating, but this is a God truth that I thought God was going to kill me that night. I thought God dealt with you based on your performance. And I thought that when I saw how unholy and ungodly I was, that that was the first time God had seen it. And I thought he was going to kill me. But right before he killed me, I was going to confess everything I possibly could so that, praise God, I'd go to heaven instead of hell. Amen. I was getting everything out. And I confessed and repented until there was nothing left to repent of. Some of you have a hard time understanding this, but I've never had to repent like that since that time. I repented of past, present, and even things I hadn't done yet. I repented so that there, there was nothing left to repent of. I've never been perfect since then, but I guarantee you, I made an absolute total commitment of my life to the Lord. And here's the thing that changed my life. After seeing all of this ungodliness and humbling myself and saying, God, forgive me. All of the love and the power and the joy that I'd been trying to earn by living holy came flooding into my life. And for four and a half months, I was just caught up in the presence of God. I never slept over an hour at a time for four and a half months. I couldn't sleep because I was so excited. I never sat down and ate for four and a half months. I ate something or I would have passed away. But I mean, I just grabbed something. I remember one time walking out the door and I was so tired. I just thought I'm going to rest here for a second. 
and I slept for an hour standing up. (laughs) That's the way I just was so excited about the Lord. I was in the presence of God. I was having God's love flow over me. And the thing that changed my life was for the first time in my life, I knew I didn't deserve it. I didn't do one thing to deserve God's love. It was when I quit trying to perform and be holy enough that I got what I've been after. It didn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. You think you got to be good enough for God to love you. No, it's opposite. Nobody can be good enough. What you've got to do is humble enough to quit trusting in yourself and to run up the flag and say, I quit. I surrender. I quit trying to earn the love of God. I'll just receive it as a blessing. That's when you receive it. When you quit trying to do enough to get God to heal you and you just say, Father, I don't deserve it. I think I'll receive it as a free gift. That's when you get healed. And there are many of you that it is your trust in yourself that is made Christ of no effect. You have fallen from grace. You aren't operating in the gospel. Let's go back to the scriptures I was trying to get to in chapter one. Galatians chapter one, after he says that some have perverted the gospel of Christ, he said in verse eight, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached, which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. This word accursed, if you look it up, it's the exact same word that is uh, used where it says anathema over in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 16. It means damned to hell is what the word means. He is damning them to hell. If any person preaches something other than this true gospel, let them go to hell is what he's saying. That is such a strong statement. People thought he couldn't mean that. He, we must have misunderstood this. He couldn't be saying this. So he said in the next verse, as I said before, so I say again, now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Boy, Paul's just making it clear that, hey, I don't want anybody to think that I mis, misunderstand what I said or that I you know, minced my words. I'm just saying that if anybody preaches something other than the true gospel, trusting in the grace of God. And if they preach that you also have to add to what Jesus did, it's not Jesus alone. You also have to be holy. You have to earn it. You have to deserve it. If anybody is preaching that, let them be accursed. If we were to go by that standard today, did you know many of our churches would be accursed? This is serious. And brothers and sisters, most of us have not heard the true gospel. Most of us have heard a perversion, a mixture. Just a little bit won't hurt you. A little bit will kill you. And most of us have heard a perverted gospel to where the emphasis is placed upon you and what you must do instead of on what a savior did for you. And this is how Satan is able to destroy us. Satan cannot effectively criticize God because God is good. God is all powerful. There are not very many people, if any, in this room that think that God doesn't have the power to do something. That's not the issue. 
Satan can't slander God. He's God. By definition, God is almighty. He's all powerful. There is nothing that God can't do. But you know where Satan is defeating people is he has tied what God can do to your performance and he is accusing the brethren. You don't doubt God's ability. You doubt that God would use his ability on your behalf because you think that you have to be good enough for God to move in your life. And that's how Satan has stopped the power of God from operating. I don't know all the needs that are in this room, but I can guarantee you there's probably hundreds of people in this room that need to be healed. And you know that God can heal and yet you're sick and you've prayed and you've asked, but you have doubt and fear that God will really do it because you have tied his goodness to your performance. And if you could understand the true gospel that it has nothing to do with you. It has to do everything with what Jesus did. You get healed because Jesus deserved it, not because you deserve it. If you could understand that, power would be released and you would be healed. But we think that, well, I've got, I've got this problem in my life and I know that until I get rid of this, God won't move in my life. You're never going to see God move in your life because you'll never be perfect until we, in the physical realm, until we go to be with the Lord and then you'll get a glorified body. But you have to learn to be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust the gospel and not lean under your own holiness and your own goodness. And this is where the majority of Christianity is missing it. We have had a works righteousness preached to us that you are righteous proportional to how holy you act. And you know that works righteousness is what causes people to look down their nose at other people and think I'm better than them. But when you understand that my righteousness, my goodness, any power or authority that I have in my life didn't come because I deserve it, but it was a gift. Then you can sit there and you can, you can fellowship with the person that's the most vile sinner because you know, but for the grace of God, I would have done those same things. I'm really guilty of the same thing because I've broken the perfect law of God. It's only the goodness of God that's made me any different than anybody else. And this hypocritical, pharisaical attitude gets killed by grace. This is what it says in Romans chapter three, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Once you go to understanding that it is the grace of God that makes you any good thing in you, well, then you quit taking credit for it. It's not your goodness that produced it. But the moment you think you have to be worthy, well, then any blessing of God that manifests in your life, you go to taking credit for it. Look what I did. Look what I believed in. Look what my faith did. That's a legalist. That's a Pharisee. That's a person that's under the law. You need to get out from under that. You can't live under the law. You can't succeed under the law. The law was meant to kill you. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse seven and nine. The law was administration of death, administration of condemnation. It strengthened sin. The law is not good for you. Amen. Well, I, I just pray that God has given you revelation 
of the things that I'm saying. And I know that this raises probably more questions than it answers. And if I had time, I've got teaching that deals with this. I've got hundreds of teachings that I've touched on last night and today. Hundreds that would answer a lot of questions. But I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will burn this in your heart, that this will become such a revelation that he will bear witness with what I'm saying, that you will grab hold of it and persevere through your questions until God gets them answered. And let me also say this, that I had a person say that they've been sitting under this for five, seven years. I forgot what they said. And they said, they're just now beginning to really grasp it. And they said, I hadn't got it yet, but I know it's a process. And I just want to tell you that this is not the kind of thing that you listen to one message and that you got this. This is the kind of thing that some of you get just a little pinhole of light where you start seeing this and you are going to have to nurture this. And it is going to take a period of time for you to go back through the religious traditions and doctrines that we've been taught and systematically deal with them. And it could take years. It shouldn't have to, but it does many times. This is one of the reasons that we have our Bible school. Cause in a Bible school, you get the equivalent of, I forget exactly what it was, but it's like 50 to a hundred times as much as one of these conferences. You get just a huge concentration. You get uh, 20 hours a week for two or three years saturation in this. And it just makes an impact. We see people come in one way and leave a different way just because we just saturate them. They hear this so much and it takes a while for it to soak in. It's like a sponge. You know, a natural sponge gets brittle and hard when it's dry. And you can't just dip that in water like that and get it saturated. You have to put it under and hold it under. And it takes a while for that water to soak into the sponge and to soften it up. And our hearts have become so hardened to the grace of God because of the legalism and the stuff that we've been taught that you aren't going to get this in just one message. You may get something, you may be blessed, but I can guarantee you, you're going to have to sit and so, and this has to just permeate to the, to the depths of your soul before it really changes you. It takes a period of time, but man, these are powerful, powerful things that I've been saying. And And if you can understand this, this is the true gospel. And this will release power in your life for whatever it is that you need. Once you understand this, the only thing that Satan ever had me on was sin. He never, he never has made me think that God can't do stuff. I know God can do it. I have zero doubt in God's ability. The only thing that he ever used against me was a sense of unworthiness and condemnation that I didn't deserve it. And once I started understanding the grace of God, it has taken away my guilt and condemnation. It has taken away my sense of unworthiness. And now I am just free to believe God for awesome miracles because I know it's not based on me. This is liberty. It's freedom. And I know that there's people sitting right here that you're hesitant to let go of your self-righteousness and all of the things that you've taught yourself that motivate you to do all these things and you're fearful. But I can promise you there is so much freedom in just realizing that praise God, it's not based on me being good. 
That doesn't encourage me to go live bad. I am living holier than I ever have because I know it's a good discipline on me and I don't want the devil to have an inroad into my life. But I do not base my relationship with God on my goodness, but instead on God's goodness expressed through Jesus. And that is such a powerful place to be. Some of you have never known that. Charlie has a song he wrote, what a joy it is to be one with the Lord. And that song is just powerful, the lyrics of it. And there are many of you that have never felt God's pure, perfect pleasure because you don't feel worthy and you stop it. The Bible says, let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I think that's Psalms 35, 27. You have to let God be magnified. And many of us won't let God love us because we don't feel worthy. God wants to show you his love. He wants to give you joy, peace, power, and you won't receive it because you don't deserve it. And many of you don't even recognize you're doing it, but you will not let God really manifest himself and bless you because you don't feel worthy of it. Well, that's powerful truth. That's an awesome truth. You know, when the Lord's, I'm going to quit with this. I've got to quit. I'm sorry. I just got a lot to say. I'll quit with this maybe. (laughs) But when I was still in the Baptist church and the Lord was showing me these things and everything they were saying in the Baptist church was contrary to this. And I was being condemned. But on one hand, I was seeing this. This was after this experience I told you about. And man, I was, I knew that God loved me and it wasn't based on my goodness. I used to drive 40 something miles to go to church. And because it was a long drive, we would just stay on Sunday and then go to the Sunday night service. And I'd stay with people over there. And there was this one family that they had a girl that was very rebellious. She was like 20 years old and she was super rebellious. She hated God. She hated her parents. And she, out of all people, hated me more than anybody else. She didn't want to be around. So anytime I went to stay at their house, she would leave. She would not be around. And one Sunday I was really tired and they said, well, just go up into this girl's bedroom and take a nap on her bed. So anyway, I was in her bedroom. I was asleep and I heard the door open up and I mean, boom, I was completely wide awake. And this was unusual. It used to take a long time for me to wake up. I'd sleep so soundly, but I mean, I was just instantly wide awake. I heard the door open and it creak on its hinges and somebody come in and close the door. And I thought to myself, this is probably that girl. She had to come into her room to get something. She does not want to see me. I do not want to see her. So I just played possum <laughs> and I just laid there thinking, well, she'll get what she needs and leave. And she walked around. I could hear the room, the floor creaking and she was walking around and doing some things. And then she came over and stood beside the bed. <laughs> I could hear her breathing. Then she sat down on the bed and leaned across me. I could feel her weight move. And by this time I was scared. (laughs) I was afraid to open my eyes. And I was just laying there acting like I was asleep. And they kissed me right on the lips. And when that happened, I opened my eyes. (laughs) And you know what? There was nobody in that room. That was God. And my first thought was, Lord, is that you? And then my second thought, God wouldn't kiss me. He'd slap me. He'd say, you sorry thing. You ought to be studying more. You ought to be praying. And I immediately started letting this old condemnation come in. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, Andrew, he says, 
if I loved you enough to die for you, don't you think I love you enough that I'd give you a kiss? And some of you think, well, that was wonderful. Did you know that's one of the hardest things to accept that I've ever accepted in my life? And I bet you it was 20 years before I ever told a person about that. I wouldn't tell people because I knew people would think I'm saying that I'm better than somebody else or I'm literally living holy. But man, it's only because of the grace of God. And the truth is God loves every one of you much more than that. He loved you so much that he stretched out his arms and died for you. He loves you more than you have ever understood. And most of us will not let him manifest his love. We would rebuke it. Somebody came up to me and says, when God hears your name, he smiles. And they said that to me. And I said, I believe that. But you know what? There's some of you that if somebody walked up and prophesied over you and says, God loves you. And when God sees you, he smiles. There's some of you that think, oh no, God had rebuked me. God had told me you ought to quit what you're doing. You ought to stop this. And there are some of you that you just will not let God love you because you are so performance oriented. Man, I want you to believe the gospel and to find out the good news that God loves you in spite of who you are, not because of who you are. And if you can understand that, it'll release the power of God and you'll start being healed, delivered, set free, whatever. Isn't that good news? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If there's anybody here today who is not born again, you need to be born again. And I've told you what the gospel is, that Jesus has already paid for your sins It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you are doing. Nothing is as big as what God did for you through Jesus. Your sins are insignificant compared to the price that was paid. It's like you owed a dollar. God paid a billion dollars for your ransom. So I don't care how bad you've messed up. You could receive salvation as a gift today. There may also be some people here who you think that you've been saved because you're a good person and you go to church and you've tried to live moral and you don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do and you're trying to live a really holy life and yet you've never put faith in a savior. Your faith is in yourself. You need to be born again. There are some religious good sinners that are headed to hell and you need to repent and receive Jesus as your savior. And then once you get born again, you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I I talked last night about speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. They are very, very important. But you know, the biggest thing that happened when I received the Holy Spirit, my understanding just exploded. I began to understand God in a way I never had before. And this, I think, is one of the greatest things. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and lead us into all truth and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever he's spoken to us, John 14, 26. One of the greatest benefits of the Holy Spirit is he gives you an ability to accept this. What I've said today is counterintuitive. You cannot figure this out with your brain. You have to receive it by revelation through your heart. 
And the Holy Spirit is the only way for you to get that revelation. So if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues, you absolutely need it. We had, uh, they counted like 170 something people that came forward last night. There was only like 130 that filled out cards, but I'm convinced that some of them didn't fill it out. But we had a lot of people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that awesome? If you're here this morning and you need either the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you need to be born again, make Jesus your personal Lord. If you're here like that, would you raise your hand so that I can pray with you? I'd like to help you to receive. Anybody? Here's some back here. Anybody else? There's some in the back. We had, like I said, nearly 170 something last night, but I don't want to miss anybody. I want to give all of you an opportunity. You absolutely need both of these things, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive right now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this great? Praise the Lord. Just come right down here. God bless you. It's going to change your life. I believe you're going to get stronger than horseradish. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You know, I know that there's people out there that haven't come forward that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I don't know what your problem is, but I'm telling you, this is something that you need. There's some people that are just afraid that, well, nothing might happen. But you know what? That's an unrealistic fear. If nothing happened, then you'd go out of here the exact same as you came in. Nothing lost. But you know what? If you come forward and if you believe God, and if you experience the power of the Holy Spirit the way I experienced him, I guarantee you, you're never going to be the same. Your life will never, ever, ever be the same again. That's well worth the risk. Plus, I'll give you a free book. What a deal. Amen. You got nothing to lose. You got a lot to gain. I know that there's others out there. You need to come forward. I'm not going to force you. Some of you are just fearful. I was fearful. I was taught that tongues were of the devil. Well, if tongues are of the devil, how come you can't go into the bars and into prostitutes and hear them speaking in tongues? How come all of the people that are serving the devil don't speak in tongues? Tongues aren't of the devil. What a stupid thing to say. How dumb can you get and still breathe? I'm telling you, it's a godly thing. You ought to be down here. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be down here. Anybody else? We still got people moseying in this direction. Thank you, Jesus. All right, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've got to receive Jesus. He's the one that gives the Holy Spirit. It says he is the one who gives this gift of the Holy Spirit. So you got to receive the giver. Before you receive the gift, is there anybody up here who's not absolutely certain 
about whether or not you have made Jesus your personal savior. This doesn't have anything to do with you believing that God exists or that Jesus exists, but you've got, you haven't made a commitment. Anybody, here's one right here. Anybody else, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I got to pray with you first. You got to receive Jesus before you can receive the gift that Jesus has to give. Anybody else? Everybody else sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. Amen. There's a lot of people confused about this. All right. So we're going to pray with you and I'm going to pray the words that you need to pray. It's not magic. You have to believe it. But if you will say these words after me and believe it, then you will be totally changed on the inside. You'll become a brand new person. Is that a good deal? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's have everybody pray this so he won't feel like we're just listening to him. Say, Father, Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus has already forgiven my sins. I believe Jesus has already forgiven my sins. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You believe that? Welcome to the family, brother. You just got changed. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's wonderful. Your spirit now is full of God. And all you got to do is change the way you think so that what's in your spirit comes out into your physical body and you'll see total transformation. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. All right. Now all of you, according to the scripture, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. When you get born again, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So all we're going to do is open up the door of this temple and say, welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your life. We aren't going to beg. We aren't going to plead. Some people teach that you got to be holy. And I've taught against all of that this morning. It's not based on how well you live. Matter of fact, if you've got sin or failure in your life, you're a prime candidate for the Holy Spirit because you need the power of God to help you overcome these things and change your life. So don't feel like that anything that you're failing in is going to stop God. He created you to be a temple. That means he wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you were made for. So we aren't going to beg and plead. We're just going to ask. And then I want our prayer ministers to come up here and they're going to stand behind you. And the reason for this is because the Bible says that when the disciples laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues. So we're going to do what the Bible did. We're going to have people who already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit come up here. And after I lead you in prayer, they are going to lay hands on you and release the power of God to come into your life. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe. And I want you to quit asking and just start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit regardless of what you feel like. I didn't feel a thing when I received the Holy Spirit, but I got him. I just believed 
And uh, you will feel things, but you may or may not feel anything right now. But the Bible says, if you be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We're going to ask and he promised he would give. So we're just going to thank him. At that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to start lifting your hands and thanking him. You know, when you lift your hands, it's just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back. It's like, I yield, I surrender. This is your way of yielding. The Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. God likes it. It's a sign of surrender. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on, you're going to lift your hands and start thanking God. And then those of us that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit are going to start praying in tongues so that you won't feel like somebody's just listening to you. And as we pray in tongues, I want you to pray in tongues with us. The Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks. Well, you're praising God in the heavenly language. You're bypassing your brain. And you're coming right out of this born again spirit. You're bypassing all of your fear and your doubt. I've got a book I'm going to give you, but one thing that stops most people or many people from speaking in tongues is they are waiting on God to make them talk. It doesn't come that way. You have to speak. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. It's just like when I preach today, I believe God spoke through me, but he didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I spoke. It was me making sounds, but God inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to make sounds. If you just wait on him to force you, it doesn't come. You have to make sound and it'll just start flowing out of you and God will confirm to you that it's him inspiring it. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. You ready? Are you ready? That was a question. This is yes or no. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer believer. and I will speak in tongues. tongues. Amen. Amen. Father, I love you. And I thank you for all of these. Thank you for our brother that got born again today. Thank you that all of us are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we just open up the doors of our temple and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come in, live in your temple. Come fill us with your power. We desire it, welcome it, ask for it right now in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we lay hands on them and we loose this power and anointing of the Holy Spirit to come into their lives. And we say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power to come into you right now. Well, this is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Right now, I want you to just start thanking him. Let's quit asking and now lift your hands and thank God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your word is true and that I am now God-possessed, that I am filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for taking control of me and giving me your power. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's begin to start praying in tongues. And as we pray in tongues... I want you to switch from speaking in English over to speaking in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say, but your tongue will be different. It'll be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else, but you've got to start speaking. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Father, we just release his power. Thank you, Father that you are giving people the ability to bypass their brain, speak right out of their spirit, speak hidden wisdom, 
mysteries of God. Thank you, Jesus. Just worship the Lord. Sister, don't shake your head. No, shake it. Yes, 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 yes. Amen. You got it. You got the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Father, we just praise you. Believe that every single one of these is receiving the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Man, many, many of these are praying in tongues. Isn't this great? Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us your power. We agree and we receive it. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know that some of you are praying and enjoying it. But you know, it is imperative that you understand what happened to you. What happened to you is more important than what you realize. I promise you. Some of you may have felt a tremendous surge of the presence of God or joy, but I can promise you nobody up here understands how important this is. This is the second most important thing that's ever happened to you outside of being born again. This is powerful. But to get the full benefits, you've got to understand what's happened. And I've written a book. And if you didn't pray in tongues, I still believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he said he'd give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. I believe God gave every one of you this gift, but you have to use it right now. I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm speaking in English. And yet I've got the Holy Spirit. If you didn't speak in tongues, it didn't mean that you didn't get it. It just means that you are having some trouble you don't understand. And I, nobody had more trouble speaking in tongues than I did. It took me three and a half years after I asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist and I had been told that this was of the devil and I had a lot of fears. But I got my questions answered. I've written all of this in a book and I promise you it'll help you. And you need to really understand and go on and uh, operate in this for you to get the full impact of it. So if you would, I'd like you to follow Ashley. He's the man right here with his Bible up in the air. And he's just going to take you around the corner to this room and give you a free book. If you have a question, they'll answer your questions. They'll pray with you. They'll help you any way they can. But please get this book. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. You right over here. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. You know, that's well over 200 people that have come forward to receive the baptism. 120 people on the day of Pentecost turned the world right side up. If all of us would just take full advantage of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does, man, this would... It would change the Washington, D.C. area. That's for sure. Amen. It'd be awesome. You know, if anybody needs prayer, these are our prayer ministers. And these people here are people that know God. They know how to pray. They've been through a training session with our ministry here. And they aren't just going to stand there and 
throw a prayer out, they're going to take their authority and speak and release the power of God. And if you would like prayer for anything, I'd like to invite you forward right now to let one of these prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree. And we're going to believe God for miracles in your life. I didn't get reports from last night, but I know just the things that I called out. We saw deafness healed. There was people that were either partially deaf or something and they could hear better. We had people with heart valves that were healed. Uh, Lots of people with shoulders, people that couldn't lift their arms like this and they got to swing in their arms around. There was dozens of them. And we saw a lot of miracles happen in here. The gospel is the power of God. You go to believing in the goodness of God, the grace of God and miracles start taking place. Amen. So if you need prayer, come forward for prayer. Let me mention to the rest of you that we have CDs and DVDs of this morning and last night already duplicated out here. And you can pick those up. I always have somebody say, I can't be here tonight. Can I pick up tonight's DVD or CD? No. And I'm not going to even dignify that by giving you an explanation, but you just... You can only get last night's and this morning's, amen. But I encourage you to get them. Look at all of our materials out there. You're dismissed if you need to be. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just agree and pray. The rest of you, thank you for coming. You're dismissed if you need to be. You're welcome to stay and pray with us if you desire to. Father, we just thank you for all of these and we receive your miraculous power manifesting through us, flowing through us and changing these people. We speak healings into their bodies right now. Sickness and disease, you leave them. Satan, you let go of them now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We agree and release your power. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we just agree. Thank you that you heal every single one of these. Thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. It's already been done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. You know, the Lord's speaking to me that he's healing somebody of hemorrhoids. You may not want to identify yourself, (laughs) but God's healing you. There's people being healed of that right now. In the name of Jesus, I just want you to receive. 
Right now, I command all that pain, discomfort, any problems. I just command these hemorrhoids to stop in Jesus' name. Satan, you loose them. You let them go right now in the name of Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, I believe that God is touching your body. You're set free of this. It's over. You aren't having that problem anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this miracle. Thank you for doing that. Well, lots of people. There's a number of people being healed of arthritis right now. You know, if you've had problems with arthritis, I want you to stand and hold your hand up so I'll know who I'm praying for. And here is the healing power of God flowing into your body. Thank you, Jesus. I know somebody's thinking, well, I'm, I'm sitting down, but I'm going to receive this prayer. I'm going to pray this won't work if you're seated. You got to do something. Take a step of faith. Stand up and say, this is me. I believe I'm being healed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for every one of these that's standing right now. I release your healing power. Arthritis, you leave their body right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. You loose them. Let them go. Well, there's arthritis leaving your body right now. I command the pain, the swelling, any deformity of your joints, command those things to go. Father, I loose your power to flow into their body right now and restore them back to total health. Inflammation, you be gone. Swelling, you go down now. Pain, you be gone off of their bodies. In the name of Jesus. You begin to move what you didn't feel like moving. If it was your hand or your back or your feet or your knees, begin to move around right now. Here's the healing power of God flowing in your body. And I believe pain is leaving you right now. Right there is pain leaving you. Thank you, Jesus. And this is not a coincidence. It's because you're healed that you don't have any pain. If you ever have another pain, it doesn't mean that God didn't heal you. It's just the devil seeing if you'll let him back in. And all you got to do is say, no, I was healed. I stand on this. How many of you have already had your pain leave? You can already tell the difference. I want you to wave at me. Look at this. This is, I don't know, two dozen people or more. If God healed that many and their pain's already gone, he also healed all the rest of you. You just need to act on it. You need to speak it and continue to stand on it. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. It's already done. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? And if you ever have another pain, that's because the devil knows I mean what I say, but he's not sure about you. So he'll come and give you a little pain. It's like a knock on the door. And all you got to do is say, no, I was healed. I refuse to let that back in. And it'll go right on. He may knock a few times and you just tell him no. Praise God. You walk in health. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, there's a number of people with back problems way down low in your back where your waist is. Here's the healing power of God healing people's backs right now. If that's you, if you got a back problem, I want you to stand. Raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise the Lord. If you've had a back problem, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I just release this anointing right now to flow towards all of these. We command these backs to be healed in Jesus' name. We loose that anointing and power and backs you be healed. Pain, you leave them and be gone from them now. And whatever is the source of that pain, you be healed. Father, I thank you that pain is leaving, that backs are healed. That from this moment on, your anointing is setting them free, that their bodies are recovering in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. Move around. Begin to test it out. Here's the healing power of God flowing in your back. Thank you, Jesus. Who in here has already seen the pain? Leave your back. If that's you, I want you to wave at me. Isn't this good? Man, there's dozens of people. I believe you're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Isn't that good? God wants you well. God wants you to receive his power. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive all of these healings in Jesus' mighty name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord, brother. You're healed. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to let you go. If you need prayer, we're going to have our prayer ministers here. And um, so I encourage you to continue to stay and pray. Remember, we'll be back at, at 7 tonight, 10 tomorrow morning, and 6 p.m. tomorrow night. We start an hour earlier on Saturday. So come back. Remember all of the products and things out there. 